tonight as we look at suffering in normal Christianity. I want to share three stories with you. A story that comes from a new friend, a story that comes from an old friend, and a story that comes from my best friend. These are stories of hope, uh, these are stories of life, and these are stories of God's faithfulness in the midst of our suffering and our trials. One thing that the Western world doesn't have is a theology of suffering. If you look at our culture today, it's all about how to alleviate suffering and get out of suffering. We have a great idolatry of comfort. We have a whole how you can have a better home, better job, better car, or better life. So that you'll alleviate the suffering that you're experiencing and you can finally achieve your idolatry of comfort, except that it never really happens. And so the next day you chase that idol of comfort again, and the next day you do it again, and the next day you do it again. As believers, we're instead called to have a healthy theology of suffering, knowing that we follow a God who loves to alleviate that suffering in his life. That's what heaven's going to be all about. It's going to take away every piece of suffering that we have ever encountered. That is the heart of God for us. But we're right now in the midst of a broken and fallen world where Satan will come after all of us who are following Jesus. And in the midst of that, it's important for us to have a great theology of suffering. My friend Philip is a new friend. He's from Germany. And I had the incredible privilege of sitting down and having dinner with him tonight or, or this past week. As we were there, uh, his friend and my friend, a mutual friend, was there who also spoke German and English and served as our translator. As Philip was, was sharing with a couple of us about uh, his, his life and his journey, suddenly I felt as if God put it on my heart to ask him, to share his testimony. So I did, and he just lit up. And in Germany, he began to share this story of how he grew up in a, in a family that was broken. His dad became sick, had to go into the hospital, and so his mom left and took all the kids. It was devastating for their family. They moved over 100 miles away. And he began to resent his mom and even hate his mom because of the way that he was treated by her and by a series of guys that who were dating her and, and, and came into his life to the point where he just wanted to be with his dad, but the, the court system in Germany would not allow him to be with his dad. And it got worse and worse with his mom, hating his mom and being mean to his mom. His dad had a radical encounter with the Lord Jesus and God saved him. He went into a church and began to worship God and his life was transformed. He began to pray for his estranged wife that God would bring them back together. And he told Philip, who was a young boy at that time, that he was praying for God to reconcile him with Philip's mom. And Philip thought that was a crazy idea. He hated his mom. He was mean to his mom. And what's more, he thought it was absolutely impossible that God would bring them back together. Over the years, Philip's... Um, Antics towards his mom continued as his hatred continued to grow until one day God radically did something. There was a prophetic word in his dad's church given to his dad that one day his dad was going to be reconciled to his mom. Philip thought it was a crazy idea. There's no way that they could be reconciled. But his dad believed that word, that prophetic word that was given to him and began to pray even harder that one day he and Philip's mom would be reconciled. After years, it happened. God radically touched Philip's mom. She came to faith, 
And through a long story, she came back together with Philip's dad. And as Philip was sharing the story, by this time, the tears were coming. There is nothing like seeing our great covenant-making God restore the covenant in humanity between a man and a woman. When the world is trying to strip that away, God fights for our marriages like no one else ever can. And when he brings that back together, it's one of the most beautiful things you will ever see. The tears were there as Philip was sharing that story. But even as they came back together, he was continuing to, to rebel. But he remembered this thing that his dad had always told him, that in times of suffering, God is working for our good. He thought that was a ludicrous idea, except that somehow God had done this miracle of bringing his parents back together. So even while Philip was, was chasing um, the things of the world, uh, the parties and the alcohol and the drugs and everything else, he kept thinking about this amazing picture of marriage and what God had done in his parents and this truth that his dad had always told him that God would bring good out of suffering because that's what he does in us. Well, suffering got even worse in Philip as he was chasing the things of the world, trying harder and harder to find true contentment and true peace and true joy and true comfort but he never could because the things of the world just didn't have it. And finally, when his life just caved in, he went outside, got away from the party that he was a part of and surrendered his heart and life to God and God radically touched him. And Philip has this incredible testimony of what God has done in his life. And he got to the end after 30 minutes or so of telling this story and he said it really is true. God really is at work in our suffering for the good in our lives. He said he went back to his mom and he told his mom, Jesus has touched me and he's changed my life. And you did horrible things to me, but I forgive you. He said he went around and he called everyone that he had ever cheated or lied to or wronged. And he told them that Jesus had touched him and he wanted to ask them to forgive him. He said it was because of that suffering that God made him who he is today. Well, that's straight up scriptural truth from Romans 8.28, if you've ever read it before, that God works in us for our good. The question for you and me tonight is, if we really believe that, do we believe that when we read the scriptures? The fact that you are badly longing maybe to find the right person to date or marry, but haven't yet, can you hold to Romans 8.28 that God is at work in this trial for your good. The child that you are longing to have and praying to have, but it hasn't been God's time yet. Can we believe that God is at work in this for our good? Those financial struggles, the job that isn't quite the one that you want, the strain that you're experiencing in your marriage or, or in your family, the, the physical issues that continue to assail your body, all the types of suffering that will just weigh on you. Can you and I believe the scriptures that face value and say, we don't get it, but we know this is for our good. We don't know what to do with the suffering, but we do trust the living God. And we know what he says, that he's at work in us for good. There is a perspective that I think the disciples had and, and people throughout the scriptures had with suffering because they were so much more familiar with it in their world. But we live in an age and a world that is trying as hard as possible to pretend that if things go right for us, we won't really have to worry about suffering. 
That, I think, is what the Swan family calls a betina, which is the word for lie in the Jurmodo language. We'll look at each other and say, that is a betina. And I want to say that the, this facade that you can somehow find an, an alleviation of suffering in this world is a straight-up betina. That is not truth. Jesus has said in this world, you'll have many troubles, but take heart because I've overcome the world. And if we're going to look at normal Christianity, biblical Christianity, with the lens on suffering, it's going to be, have to be us looking at it through Jesus' eyes. So here we are in Acts chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 27. The apostles, the disciples, had just been arrested. An angel brought them out, a radical story of God doing what only he can do. And they went out and continued to preach. Because they were on this mission with God to proclaim the greatest news of all time. And then they were re-arrested. And we pick up the story in verse 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. The high priest questioned them. That's the apostles saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him in his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. In the midst of their trial and suffering, the very reason they were arrested was because they followed Jesus. So what do they do when they're tested and tried? They just talk about Jesus. The disciples had such a laser-like view on what really mattered. They didn't care if they lost their life. They didn't care if they were going to be killed. All they knew is that their focus was on Jesus. I love that with the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He goes through this list of how he's been shipwrecked and stoned and he's been whiplashed and everything that he has gone through. And he goes into chapter 12, and, and then he says something strange. He says that he delights in his weakness because it highlights God's power in him. Then he says he's even content in his weakness, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, because in that he finds that contentment in Christ. There is something that happens when you meet men and women whose view is not on this world, but their eyes are locked in on something greater. It's the followers of Jesus in Somalia who know that every day they could go out and they could lose their life. It's those in East Asia who have suffered repeatedly and their bodies bear the scars of the truth that they care more about Jesus and the comfort of this world. It's the followers of Jesus in Afghanistan whose minds are racing now, the Taliban taking over and and knowing that their very lives may be at stake in years to come. Hearing even in present days that their names are being broadcast. And if they don't recant or flee their villages, they may soon not be walking on this earth. They understand in a way different than most of us. That we have two ways to live. Either hemmed in by the things of this world or our eyes constantly looking at something that's better. 
the disciples were hung up on what was better. And that's why even in this time of trial, they went straight to the gospel. The reality of the gospel, which we love to share with you Sunday after Sunday, how God has loved us so much in this broken world. He sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life, die on the cross, and rise from the dead. That's what he's talking about, verse 31. God exalted him, that's a Jesus, as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And that's what he offers to us. If we believe in Jesus and trust him, if we repent of our sins and surrender everything to him, he saves us from this world. And he promises us eternal life with God in heaven. And until then, he gives us the Holy Spirit with him now. That's worth dying for. That's worth any type of suffering that you and our I could ever face. That is something of immeasurable worth. And I think what can happen to you and me is, is we can say, well, Peter, this sounds great, and we get it for those in Somalia or those in East Asia or those in Afghanistan, but we're in Houston, Texas. We're not expecting people to barge through the doors right now and, and somehow accost us because we're followers of Jesus. But i just like to suggest that I think we're being assaulted in a different way. And... In many ways, I think the church in America has long been and will continue to be assaulted theologically, culturally, and practically. We have a world that is going to want to make us water down the message and somehow distill down what our faith is all about. We have those who are going to try to make us budge one way or another on so many of the issues that are out there today, whether it's related to race or human sexuality or marriage or any number of other types of issues that are out there. And there is a type of suffering that you and I can face as believers and followers of Jesus. A, because we follow Jesus and somehow receive some ridicule. Or B, because not only do we follow Jesus, but we believe in an orthodox, biblical Christianity. And we're willing to stand for those beliefs. We're willing to walk in the way that Scripture indicates is right and true. And some will say that maybe our beliefs appear to be old-fashioned or, or maybe somehow they're too closed-minded. And the world will throw all types of labels against those who are trying to proclaim that the Scriptures are true. We believe the Bible for what it is and we are walking out what we see. And there's a, a type of persecution that can come against that. There's a type of suffering that we can feel in that. And you and I will have to face the question for the rest of our days of do we care more about what other people think about us? Do we care more about what our culture says about us? Or do we care about how our lives are exalting the living king? The one who lived for us, the one who died for us, the one who our fellow believers around the world maybe are laying their lives down for. Are we willing to live for Jesus in the way that is right and true. Verse 33, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. That's the teacher of the law. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutius rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. 
He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The teachers of the law were at a crossroads. They'd already arrested the disciples, but then the angel came and just let them out of jail. And so now they came back and said, all right, it's round two. What are we going to do? And they had this conversation and decided just to beat them and to let them go. You can imagine what it must have been like for the disciples. They're wondering if they're about to be imprisoned again. They're wondering if the angel would then come and let them out again. They were probably wondering what in the world God and his sovereignty was going to allow happen to them. But the disciples had such a profound sense of the fact that God was on his throne. He was the one who had orchestrated all of the things that had happened. In Acts chapter 4, there's this beautiful prayer where the disciples start off the prayer and they address God as sovereign Lord. He is the one who orchestrates all these things that take place. That's why we know Romans 8.28 is true. God works all things for the good of those who love him. It doesn't always seem like that for us. We can't always wrap our minds around it, but we know that it's true. And here the disciples were able to know in the midst of uncertainty that God was up to something. My old friend, Gabriel, really means a lot to me. He's a pastor in South Sudan who deeply, deeply loves Jesus. He walks in humility, profound humility. He loves his people well. And he constantly lays his life down for the church. Gabriel and I had the privilege with Dakada and uh, other brothers of traveling to this place called Raja, which is um, a place in South Sudan that I think has the greatest collection of unreached, unengaged people groups. This pastor in Raja calls it the headquarters of the devil. It is known to be a place with a ton of witchcraft. And the idols in our home area in South Sudan, many of them come from Raja. It is renowned as a place of demonic darkness. We traveled there. And we visited uh, two churches that we found, just a handful of believers, vast majority of people entrenched in Islam and animism and enslaved to their idols and witchcraft. We heard story after story of the things that happened in that place. And I looked at Gabriel, he looked at me, and he said, Peter, my heart is burning for this place. He said, I know we need missionaries here. And I know it's going to be hard, but I badly want God to call me. Gabriel and another brother, Dakada, were supposed to be the first missionaries to go to Raja. And then just a couple weeks ago, I received word that Gabriel was really sick. I rushed over to see him, and he looked terrible. His body was in such bad shape. Malaria had gotten to him. Typhoid had had gotten to him and he was sitting in his bamboo chair with with an IV port just stuck out of his arm 
And some of you have heard the story if you're, if you're following our, our prayer letters or maybe you saw the video that we posted about Gabriel. He, he came the day that we were supposed to fly to Raja despite all the questions in my head of could he really come? Could he really even make it? But I saw these kids walking they were the first ones I saw holding mosquito nets and holding a bag. And there was, there was Gabriel looking like he was 30 years older than his mid-40s self. And he was kind of shuffling his feet and just barely making it to the plane. He got in and I said, Gabriel, are you really able to make it to Raja? I'd been fighting back the tears. And he sat next to me with that IV port, the whole flight to Raja, reminding me of what it takes to follow Jesus. And that any cost is worth it and he said Peter God has called me I am not going to let the enemy try to take me down and keep me from being faithful to this calling to Raja and I said you haven't even finished your treatment for malaria and typhoid and he said well that's why I still have this port here so when I get to Raja I can continue my treatment while I'm also training the church leaders in how to reach their community for Christ I am so stirred in heart by the women and the men of this world, many of whom serve Jesus so anonymously. We don't know their names. We don't even know they exist. But they love the king. And in the midst of unbelievable suffering, they stay so faithful to him. And their model just inspires me. I want to love Jesus even harder being around Gabriel and others like him. I want to charge through the suffering in my own life to tell others about Jesus. I don't want to let the things of this world hinder me or slow me down. Maybe I haven't had enough sleep. Maybe life is busy. Maybe there is a lot going on. Maybe there are financial pressures and, and strains and family issues that I'm facing or you're facing. But I look at the way that they wake up in their mud huts and eat their one meal a day and deal with their malaria and typhoid and do whatever it takes to get the gospel to those who don't know Jesus. They remind me of the disciples here. Verse 41, after being beaten, then they, the teachers of the law, left, or sorry, the disciples left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. There are so many passages in the Bible that I just can't wrap my mind around, and this is one of them. How in the world? After being arrested, released by the angel, arrested again, beaten. And by the way, when the Bible says they were beaten, they were beaten. They probably received what was known as 40 lashes minus one. It's three sets of 13 lashes. And it was a horrific, horrific piece of suffering to endure. And they walk out of that place, undoubtedly in enormous physical pain, rejoicing. Why? Because they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. There is a perspective on suffering that this culture is going to try to frame for us in America today to tell us that all suffering is bad. And there's a perspective that Scripture is going to try to frame to us to say, no, 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 wait, hold on. 
God knows what he's doing. He works all things for good. He is the great redemptive God. He's going to take that suffering that you're going through right now. He's going to do something great for it. And if your suffering is because of the name of Jesus, maybe because people are coming against you in this world, or maybe because the enemy, Satan, is trying to throw suffering against you because of your faithfulness to Jesus, if you are suffering because of your obedient faithfulness to the King of Kings, then you and I can rejoice in that. Some of us have dealt with demonic nightmares because we're trying to be faithful to God. But we can wake up and rejoice in the fact that we have been dealing with those attacks. Others have dealt with these times of unparalleled fear or panic attacks or other things that have come on us potentially because the enemy is trying to come after us because of our faithfulness in one way or another. And even as we pray for God to lift that, we can rejoice. We can rejoice if what we're going through is because the enemy is attacking us as we are faithful to Jesus. If you are ever going through suffering, and I am ever going through suffering because of faithfulness to the King of Kings, let's be those people who rejoice. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. The story of my best friend is of the greatest missionary hero in my life whom I've ever witnessed face to face, and that's my wife, Shauna. Some of you know her story with the physical condition that she has lived with for over a decade, and now this sickness that she has endured and all that she carries, and I have never seen anyone in my life be so faithful to God's call. If anyone has an excuse not to go to Africa or not to go to South Sudan, it's Shauna. If anybody has an excuse not to live for Jesus, I would say she could try to somehow pull back. She could try to live a safe life or a tame life. But instead, I can speak as her husband and just testify to both the gravity of what that sickness does to her body and also her intense faithfulness to God's calling on her life. People say that I love South Sudan. You should see Shauna. People say that I'm passionate about God's work in that country. You should see my wife's heart. There is no way that she would be charging into God's work in Africa in the midst of all that her body carries if it weren't this deep devotion to God and to what he's doing there. And I'm so touched by this verse, verse 42, where after this beating and this warning and this imprisonment and then a repeated arrest, every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. I hope in my whole heart that when I get to the end of my days, people say, man, until his dying breath, Peter was telling people about Jesus. With everything that he had, wherever wherever he went, he was just going for it. And I think if I can just emulate the faithfulness of Shauna and Gabriel and Philip, And countless others in our church and around the world who are loving Jesus and following him in the midst of that suffering, there's no telling what God can do. One of the greatest witnesses that you and I can give to those around us is to love Jesus and follow him with joy, even in the midst of whatever we face. 
And I pray that our Hope family will powerfully reflect that. Let me ask you to stand in our music team and our prayer team to come. It is such a joy and such a privilege to share in the scriptures together tonight. And I hope a deep encouragement for any of you who are just deep in that season of, of suffering, the trials uh, that you're facing. I want to encourage you towards a couple things tonight as we move into a time of response and prayer. The first is I, I want to ask if you would consider, as the music starts playing in just a moment, if you would consider in your own heart, just bowing your head and heart before the Lord and thanking Him for the suffering in your life. I know that's hard to do. Some of us have been through trials and pain beyond what I can ever fathom in your life. I can't speak for what you've, you've been through. But I just want to ask if we can take Romans 8, 28 and say, yeah, we, we trust that. We trust that God really is at work for our good. And, and so we want to thank God. We want to thank Him that he's, he's somehow doing that and He's even working through our suffering. The Bible tells us to give thanks in all circumstances because that's God's will for us in Christ Jesus. I want to encourage us as a Hope family tonight, just in the quietness of our heart, just to, just to thank God for our suffering and for what he's doing in the midst of it. And then second, I want to encourage you to come. I'm going to pray and our prayer team's going to be up front. And whether you're a guest with us or a covenant member, we want to invite you to come for prayer. This is just a place for the hungry. Those who are hungry spiritually, and it's also a place for the hurting. Maybe you're hurting spiritually or, or physically or emotionally. If you're hungry or you're hurting, please come. Father, I thank you for the incredible privilege of this time together with our Hope family. My heart's just bursting with love and, and gratitude. I'm just so honored and grateful, Father, that, that you've given us this time tonight. And Lord, I know when we talk about suffering, it runs deep. Whether it's Paul's story of Sarah earlier or, or the stories each one of us can testify to in our own lives. And, and for some of those, those stories are past, but for most of us, those stories are now. It's here. It's tonight. It's with us. We walked in here with it, and it's, it's assaulting our souls. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just touch us now. You would lead us in this time of surrender and, and prayer and thanksgiving and worship. And you do a work of healing and perspective and hope and, and joy, direction, and abounding trust. Father, as we come now and as we pray and as we reflect and as we sing, will you stir in us? We pray in Jesus' name.